All right, let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord God, we thank you that you would uh, reveal yourself to us most perfectly in Jesus Christ and that you would inspire holy men to write down what you did to save and redeem your people and what your good and perfect will is, O oh God, and how we might please you. So, Lord God, we pray this morning that you would illuminate your scripture to us, O oh God, that you would conform our hearts to your Son, and that you would help us, Lord, to believe everything that your word says and to obey it, O oh God. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander and stray away from you. We desire many things, God, that are not of you, O oh God. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to squash those, those fleshly passions, God, that seek to war against our souls. So, Lord, help us, O oh God. Help me, God, to preach and teach your word with clarity. Lord God, to, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, silence my own heart and my own opinions, God, that these people need to hear from you, not another man. So, God, help me today. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you're our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're on session three of marriage. Um, the, what's the title of it? I don't have a, <laughs> the shape of marriage. The shape of marriage. Thank you. The shape of marriage. So this is actually, it says session two on your handout because we decided to, last week we didn't finish. So this is, although it's session three, this is the second half of class number two, okay? So we stopped last week at Roman numeral number five, which is hold fast to his wife. So we just decided because of the time, we didn't do it, we wouldn't be doing any justice to deal with this last one in the, at the very end of that session. So we decided to roll it over to today. That makes sense to you? So today you're not gonna hear anything from Roman numeral one to four, if you want to hear it, you got to go listen to it on the um, on a podcast. Okay. Um, so that being said, over the last two weeks, we have been talking about the purpose, the power, and the paradox of marriage. Okay. So does anyone here remember what we said the purpose of marriage was? Who was here last week? All right. So I'll just tell you what it means. Um, we said that the purpose of marriage, it was a key way in which we recognize the glory of who God is and that we represent and reflect that glory to others, particularly our spouses and by extension, our children and our neighbors. So the purpose of marriage is to ultimately to glorify God. And we explain that the way we do that is to recognize, represent, and reflect that glory, particularly and primarily to our spouses, but also to our children and our neighbors and the people around us. And then we, the power of marriage is found in the differences that we see in men and women, right? How the woman is the helper, she was fit for him, literally means corresponding to him. And the man was made to love his wife as Christ loved the church, to provide and protect his wife, and that those differences are where you get the power of marriage from. To flatten out those differences is to rob marriage of its power. Right? That those, and we also talked about how those differences are actually part of God's good design. We talked about that a little, or quite a bit actually. So we should not flatten out those differences. We have to learn to embrace those differences. See those differences as good. See those differences as from the Lord. See those differences as co corresponding to one another. All right? And, and see those things as helpful and beneficial to us. All right? We also talked about the paradox of marriage. So while these differences between men and women are good, we, we, or we like to... We should be believing that they're good, right? And that they are designed by God that way for our sanctification, for our good and for his glory. That those differences are the very things that drive us crazy. 
It's because of those differences that we get into so much conflict in marriage is because, in fact, that we're different. And so one of the great challenges in marriage is to see those differences and figure out a way as a married couple how we can take these differences, become this God-glorifying, one-flesh union, and, and just represent that glory to all the people around us in those differences. Flattening out the differences does no good. It's maintaining the differences and using them to the glory of God. Amen? So that's what we talked about. And then we also talked about the three key tools that help to build solid God-glorifying marriages, which was the differences in roles, the roles that um, husband and wife play, communication, good communication, and physical intimacy. So we talked about those three. Well, actually, we didn't talk about those three. We, I mentioned them, but then we started getting into the first, the first key role tool, which is the roles. So, the, so then that's what last week was about. We started getting into these roles of, if, okay, yeah, the handouts are right there. We started getting into this role, the ro- how the roles, um, what they are, um, how they're good, why they're good, and then like, so there are these distinctive paths that each man and woman follow in order to glorify God in the marriage. And we got through, so last week what we got through was the wife's role, Right? So this week, we're going to continue on to the husband's role, which is to lead, to protect, and to provide, all right? So that's where we are. So, so does anybody have any questions from, uh, from last week at all? No? Okay. So this week, we're on Roman numeral number five from your handout, and it's to husbands. The role of a husband is to hold fast to his wife, okay? To leave his father and his mother and to hold fast to his wife. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. It says here, I'm going to start at um, verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that's our primary text that we'll be coming from. We'll also be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. These are all very familiar passages of Scripture. Everybody should know these, especially the married people. They're probably beating each other over the head with them all the time. Ephesians 5, 25 reads, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, herself, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who, loves him, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and, his, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So one of the things we talked about was the marriage was an analogy of the relationship between Christ and his church. And that was by design. God designed it that way. Paul wasn't just sitting at home one day looking across the world and was thinking, like, oh, let me try to find a decent analogy that relates to uh, Christ's relationship with the church. No, God designed marriage to be that very thing, right? That is what you should be thinking. That is the purpose of your marriage. God puts you with your spouse to do that very thing. That is why you have that spouse. It's to glorify God. 
God did not give you that spouse primarily for companionship. God did not give you that spouse primarily for you to be taken care of. God did not give you that spouse primarily for you to make children. God did not give you that spouse primarily for anything other than to glorify God. And if you have anything else other than that as your primary role in your marriage, it's going to be wrong. You're going to fail. I'm not asking for amen because it's right. So the second half in Genesis 2, the the passage that we read in Genesis 2, this phrase here, he will hold fast to his wife. So God has given a job to the man. In verse 15 of Genesis 2, he gave a job to the man. It was to work and to keep the garden. Okay? That is primarily to provide and to protect. Right? Providing and protecting isn't just a general admonition applied to the created order. But men are, so men are, what I'm trying to get at is men are supposed to do this in general. But specifically and in a special, unique way, he's supposed to do this for his wife. Okay? So, again, Paul is picking up this unique care for his wife in Ephesians 5 when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So this isn't to say that wives aren't supposed to love their husbands. This isn't to say that. Because in, we know in um, Titus, yeah, ti- thank you, that Titus says the older women are supposed to teach the women to love their husbands. And children. So it's not to say that wives aren't supposed to love their husbands or hold fast to their husbands or sacrifice to their husbands, but there's a different priority, right? There's a different priority. The men, primarily, your number one priority is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because of the unique position and the unique design that marriage is, it's supposed to reflect the love or the, the relationship between Christ and his church. They don't do the same thing. They're designed to do different things. So, man, your primary role is to love your wife as Christ loved the church so that you can reflect this relationship to the rest of the watching world. So there's a different priority when the husband does this, and specifically because he is in an authority position. Right There are far too many people in the church right now that reject the idea of male headship because they saw it done so poorly. Right? You saw men stand up as Christians and say, submit, 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 and they didn't love their wives like Christ loved the church. And so now you got a slew of people, men and women, who reject this truth because of what they saw from men who claim to be Christians and didn't do it well. So men, you have a responsibility to do this well. You cannot fail at this. Okay? So let's see what Paul says about what it means for a husband to hold fast. Because he says, while he quote, or he does say, um, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ, love the church, and then he goes on to explain that. One of the ways in which you do that is to hold fast to your wife. Right? So husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and a husband's leadership should be the same as Christ's leadership. Self-giving, sacrificial, which leads them to the cross for his church. Okay, which, leads, which leads Christ to the cross for his church. So he loved his church so much that he died for her. You understand that? He loved his church so much that it led him to the cross. He would rather suffer himself than see his church suffer. That's, what, that's one aspect of love. When you love your wife, you yourself would rather suffer more than see her suffer. That's the biblical, one of the aspects of self-sacrificial love. If you are in a situation, men, and your wife is getting ready to hurt, you should take it. If telling her some news is going to break her heart, keep your mouth shut. Bear it. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Be like Christ. Christ took bruises. He took lashes. He took a crown of thorn, and he bore your sin. Why? So you wouldn't have to. That's your job. That's your role. That's your duty, men. You have to do that. Right? It is true that, while it's true that the Lord in Scripture has instructed us to love one another, when the Bible, not just husbands and wives, he tells us we should, the Bible says we should love one another in the church. All of us should be loving one another. Right? 
Amen? Right? The same way he loves us. That's John 15, 13. But the Lord has caused husbands to focus your love uniquely and exclusively and intently on your wife. Okay? So, yes, you're supposed to love your sisters in the church, but it's not supposed to be the same as it is for the love for your wife. Okay? Your wife should never be able to point to an instance where in your marriage, your love for any other woman surpasses your love for her. She should never be able to point to that and say, look at that. Here's a, here's a, here is a instance where your love for that woman exceeded your love for me. That should never happen. That is ungodly. That should never be the case. And I don't care who that woman is, even if that's your mama. Your mama, your daughter, your grandmother, a woman related to you, a woman in the church sitting next to you, one of your coworkers, you should never love, your love for another woman should never look like it surpasses the love of your wife. Tell me somebody, tell me some institution on earth or in heaven that Christ loved more than his church. I'm waiting. Where is she? What is she? I told my son when he got married, I was like, congratulations, son. Guess what? Your mother is no longer the most important woman in your life anymore. Now, of course, his mama didn't like that, but it don't matter because it's true. His wife is the most important woman in his life, period. His love for his mother should not, there should never be an instance where his wife can point at, what, at his love for his mother and say, your love for your mother is exceeding your love for me right now. That should never be. I don't care who that woman is. None of them. There's not an occasion. Not your child, not your daughter, not your mother, not no digital woman on a computer screen. No woman. You, you following this, man? No woman. So, it is true, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church and give ourselves for our wife. For some men, that's going to literally mean dying. There, there may be occasion where you have to physically give up your life for your, for your wife. That may be the case. There may be a burglar coming into the house. Guess who's supposed to be in the front? Guess who's catching bullets first? You. You're supposed to be dying first. If you put your wife in front of you, in front of you and she's catching bullets and you not, guess what you're getting? Church discipline. Because that's what you deserve, because you're not being a man. So for some husbands, that's going to be the case. But for all husbands, it's going to mean this, swallowing your pride. You're going to have to swallow your pride, men. You're going to have to actively build up your wife spiritually. You have to actually work at it. You're not go- your wife is not going to accidentally grow in the Lord. You have to actively pursue her holiness. You, that's your responsibility. That is on you, men. And guess what? You don't, you don't get to get tired. You don't get to be exhausted. Guess what you get to do when you get tired? Work. That's what you get to do. You hear me? In John chapter 4, when Jesus, the Bible says he was arguing with the Pharisees, as usual, right? He, he left Judea. He went to Galilee. He went the long way to Galilee, right? Because he went through Samaria. The Bible says he was weary, he was tired, and he was hungry. He stopped at a well. He saw a Samaritan woman. He never got a sandwich or he never got no water because he was dealing with this woman's spiritual problems, right? He did not use his weariness, his tiredness, his his hunger as an excuse to ignore the spiritual needs of this woman. Being tired men is never an excuse to sinfully abdicate your role as a man. Never. Being tired is never an excuse. Okay? You know how many men I've counseled over the years and talked to? Oh, why are you saying that? Oh, because I'm tired. You know what that is? Let me explain to you what that is. Anybody in here who has ever raised a child has had this experience before. Your little two-year-old's acting like a maniac, 
right? Everybody in the room want to kill them. What do everybody say? Oh, they're just tired. They need a nap. So he's sinning because he's tired. He's sinning because he's, men, when you stand up and you say, I'm sinning, I'm not doing my role for my wife and my children because I'm tired, you're being a toddler. You're acting like a child. Stop. You don't get to get tired. You know what that's called? When you're tired and you do what you're supposed to do, it's called self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. Be a man. Be a man. See, now, I always get accused of going hard on women, but I'm an equal opportunity employer. Right? Men, you are frequently, you frequently in your marriage are going to have to prioritize your wives, your wives' preferences and desires over your own. Okay? Now, if you go talk to my wife, she's not listening to this. I'm saying this because she's not here. Okay? About 99% of the time, we do what she wants to do. Okay? Especially if it's a preference. Because I don't care. I don't care what movie we watch. I don't care if you got pink doilies on the, on the counter. I don't care if you got flower wallpaper in the bathroom. That means nothing to me. Do you know Jesus? Okay? Where you want to go on vacation? I hate that place. I don't care. None of that means nothing to me. Okay? You do not extend your preferences over to your wife and then demand that she bow to your preferences. That's from the pit. That is evil. Your job is to grow her in holiness. Show her the Lord. Wash her in the water of the word to make her more holy and more sanctified, not so that she can make sandwiches the way that you want her to. And I love sandwiches. But that's not your job, men. Okay? That is not how the Lord leads us. Right? That is not how the Lord leads us. The Lord gives us commands, but they're always preceded by what? How he extended grace to you. Right? Always. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay? Therefore, have no other gods before me. Why? Because I led you out of Egypt. So if you, I'm, I'm convinced of something. Man, if you, love, if you love your wife well, you'll never have to pull a submit card. Well, she's a sinner. You will have to pull, well, you shouldn't pull it. <laughs> she ain't going to always do what you ask. But she's going to be more prone to if you're loving her well. So a lot of times we, we create our own problems for two reasons. One, you married, first of all, marry a woman that loved God more than, lo- than she loved you. Okay? And make sure she loves, she reads and, un- and believes the entire Bible. Okay? Let me tell you why. Because if she don't believe the entire Bible, she's going to remember one verse in particular. Husbands, love your wives as Christ led the church. And she's going to forget all the ones all the other ones. Okay? I always say this all the time. Pick your woman with your eyes closed. Okay? We be picking with the wrong stuff. I know far too many people, they come to churches, they, 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 they pick a church and it has nothing biblical to do with it. They're not looking at the scriptures and saying, this is what God says a good church is. I like the music. I like the way the pastor preaches. I like this. I like the fellowship. I like blah, blah, blah. None of this is in the scriptures, and then when things start to fall apart, then you all mad and upset and you want to go leave. That's literally what men do when they pick wives. Oh, she's beautiful and don't know Jesus at all. And then you're miserable. You are miserable. You are going to have a miserable marriage if your wife is not a, is not a Christian, man. Why am I so invested in this? I got three sons at home. I have three sons at home, and I'm telling them every day, you need to know what a godly woman looks like, men. Because she will destroy you 
if she don't know the Lord. So listen, I want you to note something, that when Paul addresses the husband, he doesn't say one word about submission or headship. Do you understand that? He don't say a single word about submission or headship. It's almost as if he's telling the men, okay, I'm about to talk to the wife, plug your ears. Okay? When he's talking to the wives, he's talking about submission. He don't say nothing to the men about submission at all. He just says, you're supposed to love her. Right? So the main message of Ephesians 5 isn't, wives ought to submit to me. If you are running, men, men, listen to me. Pay attention to this. If you run into Ephesians 5 and you're having marriage troubles and your first reflex is she needs to submit to me, stop it. Your first reflex should be, am I loving her like Christ loved the church? Okay? Do I love my bride like Christ loved the church? Let me help you understand this. Okay? My two little boys, the, well, I got three little boys at home, but the two, Jojo and Chachi, they got a list of chores to do at home. Right? And every single time, here's what happens. One of them, instead of doing their chores, is policing the other one. Right? They're policing the other one. Well, he's not doing this. And I'm like, bro, your list is undone. Right? And, and, and most of us, we do this in marriage. Oh, well, I'll start loving my wife when she starts submitting to me. Uh, how about maybe she won't, she's not doing that because you're not loving her well. How about that? Ladies, it's the same thing for you. Well, I submit to him when he starts loving me well. Well, maybe you're making it extremely difficult for him to do that. How about that? Stop policing the other person. Listen, the Lord is very adept at doing two things at once. Do you understand what I'm saying? He could be like, you're wrong and you're wrong. We've been going through this on Wednesday nights. He judges one nation for the evil and the atrocities they did to another nation, and then he judges the second nation for how they responded ungodly to the atrocities. And both people are in trouble. Both people got to stand before God. That's what happened at the fall with Adam. Adam, where art thou? What did he say? It was the woman that you gave me. And how did God respond? She's next. (laughs) Nobody's hands are clean. That's not an excuse. Your, your wife not submitting to you is not an excuse for you not to love her, period. One, you picked her. Love her. Love her. Secondly, that charge Paul places on us men in regards to headship and how it's supposed to express itself in loving our wives as Christ loves the church, it doesn't matter if you agree. I don't care if you agree. I don't care if you say amen. That's your responsibility. I don't care. You got to do it. You're commanded to servant leadership, and your disagreement does not matter. You're responsible. The fact that you don't believe and the fact that you don't agree equals nothing at all whatsoever. God's going to look at every marriage, and he's going to say, Wally, where are you? Cedric, where are you? John, where are you? Vern, where are you? Junior, where are you? That's what God's going to say. He's going to hold you responsible for how all of that goes. Just because you stand up and say, well, I don't agree with that. I don't believe in that. So what? Disagree, not agree, not believe it all you want. You're still responsible, man. Right? And like Christ, a husband is to give himself for his wife's good. Right? So specifically, Christ gave himself up for the church, as verse uh, 26 and 27 of Ephesians chapter 5 says. And the reason he's supposed to do it, the purpose of it is to make her holy and to present 
her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. So just as the goal of Christ's self-giving love was the good of his church, so the goal of a husband's self-giving love and sacrifice should be for the good of his wife, right? Just like, so, like we said last week, the, orienta- the, the life orientation of a wife is to the family, so too is the orientation of a man's love to his wife for her good, for her holiness, and for her sanctification. You understand that? There's never, a, if you are a married man, there's never an occasion where you're not a married man. There's never an occasion where you have any kind of posture where you should be acting like, I ain't married. That's ridiculous. Guess what? If you're in Las Vegas and you got married in Las Vegas and you get on a plane and you fly to Cleveland, guess what you still are? You're still married. And you still have to act accordingly. When you pick a job, guess what you're supposed to consider? How is this going to help my wife grow in holiness? Not necessarily how much this is going to make me, help me make more money. How is this going to help my wife grow in holiness? That's, that's your responsibility, man. And you never get a day off. You never get to get tired, and you never get to stop doing that. Okay? So I want you to think about this, right? We, we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what leadership is. People, you hear people say this all the time. Oh, I'm going to start my own business one day so that I can make my own schedule. What fantasy world did you get that from? Where did you get that from? When you are in leadership, you get to do more work than everybody else. You get to be there first. You get to leave last. You get to pay all the bills. You're responsible for everything. When I clock out, I got a job right now. When I clock out, I just go home. Something breaking, smoke everywhere. I'd be like, oh, it's 5 o'clock. Guess who get that problem? The owner, the, the supervisor, the manager. When you're in leadership, right, you're responsible. You're responsible for stuff that's not your fault. Do you understand that? So listen, I used to supervise about 35 people, and there was this one department in, uh, that we supervised, this banner department, and they had a responsibility to get X amount of square footage done every month. And I decided, I'm going to put John in charge. Not that John, different John. I'm going to put John in charge. We didn't meet our numbers because John was showing up late. We didn't meet our numbers because John wasn't working. He was outside smoking all the time. But guess who they came for? They came for me. Why? Because I was the manager. Men, when your family is not following the Lord the way that they're supposed to, even if your wife is not submitting to you, you're responsible. It's on you. It's her fault. You're responsible. You got to figure it out. That's why you need to make sure you're picking a good one. Because I say this all the time. One of the worst things in the world is to have a job with a bunch of subordinates that you can't fire. That is, that is the definition of misery. You're responsible for stuff. You got a bunch of people sitting underneath you that are insubordinate and won't do nothing you say, and you can't fire them, and you're responsible for everything that goes bad. That's how people commit suicide. So listen. Men, the commands that God gives us are not tyrannical. Therefore, are good. They're always grounded in grace. They're always preceded by the love of God, how he sacrificed himself for us. And in response, you should be doing these things. That's how your love for your wife is supposed to look. That's how it's supposed to look. You're not supposed to rule by tyranny in an iron fist. You're supposed to rule with love. Amen? with love. Go read Hosea, right? That is a stiff neck. This is beyond ridiculous. And what did he do? He kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing. He didn't throw his hands up and quit. He, he eventually ends up dying. So when a husband loves his wife as he should, the marriage would be marked by an atmosphere of healthy growth, 
maturing, love, grace, mercy. She should feel secure in her husband, in his love, and she will thrive spiritually and emotionally. Love your wife well, men. But there's more. Go, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul is picking up on this one flesh union concept that the husband and the wife are supposed to have. And a husband is supposed to love his wife as he loves himself. So marriage makes two independent individuals and creates a living, God-glorifying unity. They become one flesh. Marriage is a one flesh union. And so Paul says, just as the man would care for himself, so he should care for his wife, because you are no longer two, you are one now. Do you understand that, men? If you neglect your wife, you're neglecting yourself. You should love your wife the way you love yourself. As you love yourself is what the scripture says. So if your wife got toe fungus, guess what you got? You got toe fungus. Right? Your wife's sick. Guess what you do? You sick too. Your wife got a bad day with, with the kids. Guess what you get when you get to come home from work? A bad day with the kids. Right? Compassion, care, and action. Those are the three words that you should have on the top of your mind, man. Compassion, care, and action. You should have washed a hundred more dishes than that woman did. You should have cooked a hundred, maybe not cooking, but listen, you should be, is, leadership means that I've done this before, right? My hands are just as dirty as yours. Jesus bore a cross first so that you could bear yours. He loved, he gives you, how should you love people? The way that I did. I'm telling you, I've managed a lot of people before. 99.99999% of the reason why people don't succeed in their positions is because of poor training. That is 100% on the management. It's because you didn't do your job, supervisor. Why don't he know how to push that button? Because you didn't show him how to do it. If you got a problem with the way that your wife is running your household, you probably didn't extract her from the scriptures about how that was supposed to be done. That's on you, men. That's your responsibility. Compassion, care, and action. You got to do something. If she come home and the dishes ain't done and the house is all tore up, your first response shouldn't be, oh, you've been home all day long and the, and the, and the house is all tore up. That should not be your response because you've, you've been at work all day and we ain't rich. <laughs> right? So your response is get a vacuum, get a pot, get some help. Help. My sons for years had a problem cleaning their room because nobody showed them how to. So you know what I do now? Clean your room. I cleaned it. Did you clean it to my standards? Uh, no. Okay. So we go in there together and we clean it. And I show them, vacuum this, do this, vacuum this, do this. And we have refreshers all the time. And when their mama come in there, be like, I got it. Go read your Bible. So listen, a husband's love is going to do one or two things. It's either going to proclaim God's or Christ's love for the church, or it's going to defame it. It's going to slander it. 
You understand this, man? How you love your wife is going to do one or two things. It's going to proclaim to her, your children, and the entire watching world, this is how Jesus loved his church, or it's going to slander and defame it. You understand that? Does that make sense to you? That is not a rhetorical question. Does, do you understand that, men? Right? How you love your, succeed in loving your wife is going to proclaim Christ's love for the church, and how you fail is going to slander it. Right? That's why I said earlier, that's why you got so many women right now bucking up saying, oh, I don't believe in any of this, because they watch their fathers, right, or their uncles or they whoever claiming to be a Christian doing this poorly, and now they just reject the whole framework. Now, I'm not saying that her response to it is right. I'm just saying it's, it's, that's just a matter of fact. If I take you to a gun range and I put a target out there, and my instruction to you is just don't hit me, right? You're going to hit a whole bunch of stuff you ain't, gonna, you ain't trying to hit. And that's the problem with a lot of us, okay? You saw poor examples, and your only goal in life is to not be that. I don't want to be my father. I don't want to have a relationship that mama and papa had. And none of that's got to do with Christ. So you're going to miss mama and papa, and you're going to hit that. You're going to miss the F and get the D minus, and you still flunked. Your goal is to glorify Christ in your marriage, man. Your goal, ladies, is to glorify Christ in your marriage, man. Women, women, both of us have the same goal. Two different, two different ways to do it, right? And if your goal is to not be the, the relationship that your parents had, you're going to miss the mark. If you are training your young daughters, listen to this, to be independent so that when her husband leaves, she's getting divorced. She's getting divorced. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You're going in with the idea of I'm preparing myself for when this fall apart. That's what you're doing. And when, let me tell you why people are doing that. Because of past experiences. You're looking at the past. You're holding on to the past. You're holding on to this bad experience. And you're not trusting Jesus. You're not trusting Christ. What you're trying to do is not be your parents. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Your goal is to not be something. Your goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's your goal. Your goal is to not be Wally. Your goal is to miss being Corey. Your goal is not to not, to, not, to not be Matthew. Your goal is to be like Christ. Women, if you're looking at a man, right? If you're looking at one of these husbands in the church, like, oh, that's a good God-fearing man. I wish my husband would be that. Stop, you sinning. You covenant somebody else's man. You need to, you, the only man that you should want your husband to be like is Jesus Christ. Nobody else. You in sin. Stop it. So listen, if you recall from last week, the primary purpose of marriage isn't companionship. It's not children, but it's to teach us about the glory of God. Okay? to serve our spouses as, as in a response to who he is and to represent and reflect that glory to the watching world. Okay, so husbands, if you use your authority well and you love your wife well, you will equip your wife to trust God's authority. The reason why you got a lot of women running around here, the reason why they don't trust the Bible, they don't trust what God said, is because you failed them. Because you failed them. You gave them a, you poorly reflected, this is what biblical authority looks like. You can trust it because it's going to be for your good and your glory. You fail to show them that, and so now they reject all of it. That's your fault. Right? So if you look closely at verse 22 in Ephesians, your wife should submit to you because of her submission to Christ. Right? And as you make following, you should be making following you a joy. Following you should be a joy, man. Just like following Christ is a joy, it ends up being our good. Submitting to your husband should be a joy to the wife. If it's not a joy, it's because you're doing it wrong. 
and repent. Stop it. Men, you are responsible for how your wife and your family follow Christ. You're responsible for that. You're responsible for that. So I'm intentionally trying to convict you right now. This is a great opportunity to grow your wife's faith. If you start doing these things, she will, she will trust the Lord more if she can trust you. Amen? That's for the ladies. So, and you are, on, you're not just teaching your, 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 your wife something. You're teaching your children. They're watching this. They're learning about God. They're learning how authority works. You're teaching them, you're teaching your kids all of this. You're teaching your sons this. You're teaching your daughters this. You're doing that, men. So you have to use your authority selflessly, sacrificially, and you, for the, so that she can thrive for her joy, for her holiness, so that she would get closer to Jesus Christ. That's why you're there. That's why God made you the leader. That's why God put you in charge. For no other reason other than that. And if you're using it for anything else, if you're using it because you want her to do some stuff for you that your mama wouldn't do for you, you need to quit, you in sin, repent. That's evil. That's from the pit. Stop it. For those who have been married, I need you to understand this is an important motivation to keep you from complacency. Okay? Yes, sir. I agree totally with everything you're saying. What are some practical things a man can be doing moment by moment? Right? What, is some of the, what, what thoughts should he be doing? I'm going to get there. Okay, listen. It's easy to say things like this. Assuming this is you. <laughs> that our marriage is great. We have no major issues. We don't deal with all of these problems and get complacent. That's super easy to do. Don't do that, man. It's also just as easy to say this. as I, I know we got a bunch of problems in this marriage. We tried, we tried, we tried, and just to throw up your hands and quit. Both of those things are very possible to do, man. Don't do that. On either side. Don't become complacent. Don't give up. Okay, man? Don't give up. Keep loving your wives. Right? Both of these mindsets can lead couples to settle for extremely flawed and God-dishonoring marriages. Both of those attitudes. Okay? So to answer your question, that's one way. Don't be complacent, men. If you got a good relationship, praise God. Don't get complacent. Don't get complacent. Okay? If you got a terrible relationship, keep loving your wife. Don't stop loving her. Learn more about how Christ loved his church and do that. That answer it partly? I'm going to get some more. Okay. So, increasing the chances that they will, listen, so if you love your wife well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to increase the chance, or I'm sorry, if you love your wife poorly, you take one of these two attitudes and you love her poorly, you're going to increase the chances for her to look outside of the marriage for understanding, for enjoyment, for joy, and for friendship. Okay? Because if they don't get it from you, they're going to get it from somebody else. It's going to quite automatically happen. Nobody committed adultery accidentally. Okay? It didn't just happen like, boom, all of a sudden I'm in somebody else's bed. What started happening was, slowly but surely over time, they started getting some attention outside of the relationship that wasn't getting there. Is it sinful? Yes. Could you have stopped it? Probably. And I, am I blaming the person who, who didn't? No. But why would you go through that if you didn't have to? Prevent it if you can. That's just dumb. To not. If all I got to do is love her so she won't do that, I'm going to love her. I'm not going to be like, ooh, that's your fault because I want to be a lazy bum. No, I'm just going to love her so she won't have to do that. Why? Because I don't want to put her in that position because she's going to have to stand before God one day. And I don't want her to have to carry that guilt. So you know what? So to avoid her from having to do that, I'm just going to love her because that's, that's not that difficult to do. 
You, listen, I'm confident. If you're a Christian in here today, you could do this. You know why? You got the Spirit of God in you. You could love her. You could do it. Right. So listen. What does having this attitude say about God's love for his bride? Men, if you take this attitude that no matter what, no matter what, I'm never going to get tired. I'm going to love her no matter what. And she's going to always know no matter how crazy and ridiculous she act. Um, she always noticed that I'm going to love her. How do you think that's going to change your wife? Could you imagine what that's going to do in your wife? That she's fully confident that this man loves me? That's going to change her whole, her whole life. Right? So a passion for the reputation of God should keep us motivated, right? Because how we love our wives is a reflection on the Lord. The whole world is looking at that saying, that's how Jesus is with his bride. So your passion for the reputation of Jesus should keep you motivated to loving your wife well. And also, keeping her holy should motivate you to love your wife well. Yes, sir. This applies, right? The good example is, is actually in marriage, right? This is some of the things you talk about you look for a wife blindfolded. When you see these things in someone and you're not married, maybe a great a great red flag for the Lord to run the other way. Yes. I, I'm following you. So basically, if I understand your question right, is if you see somebody not doing these things, don't marry him. Okay? <laughs> it's not that deep. <laughs> It's really not. All right, um, I lost my place. Okay, so with all this instruction in Ephesians 5 in mind, we need to make some application to the men. Single men, right? If you ever play sports, you know this. You play like you practice. You know what that means? You play like you practice. You're not going to have sloppy, footwork and practice, and then all of a sudden in a game, miraculously got the best footwork in the world. It don't work like that. Okay? When you're single, you can pretty much live entirely to yourself. You're completely selfish. All your money's for you. You get to spend all your money for you. You get to do everything for you. Get up when you want to get up. You go when you want to go. You come home when you want to come home. You are about who? You. Right? And you can do that and still look like a godly man. You know that. That's very possible for a single man living on his own to be completely, utterly selfish and nobody know about it. Right? And this is how you tell the difference is because you pay attention to if this man is practicing self-sacrificial living when he's not married. How is he serving the church with his free time when he's single? Because it's only, I'm telling you, y'all living in fantasy world. If y'all think a person is going to get married and get, and you're going to find out better things about them. <laughs> I don't know what Disneyland movie y'all been watching to make you think that that's what's going to happen. You're going to find out more things about this person that you're, and some people are going to be like, if I would have known this, I don't know if I would have done this. Okay? You're not going to find out better things about the person when you get married. You're going to find out more things you don't like because you're married to a sinner. I, listen, stop. Y'all watch too much TV. 100%. You watch too much TV. You watch too much TV. You watch too many movies. You're on Instagram too much. You've seen all this fake, ridiculous nonsense about relationships that are not, it's not real. It's not real. Okay? It's not real. Listen to me. I'm going to confess. This is a safe place. Got you. My, my baby girl, my daughter, she was probably like six months old, she crying, I'm tired, I'm working two jobs, and I'm like dog tired. And I, and I hear her crying, it's like two in the morning, I'm like, man, I gotta get up at like four in the morning and go to work, and I hear her crying, and I'm like, I'm just gonna lay here and pretend to be asleep. 
That is wicked, evil, and selfish. My wife was with that baby all day. But I would have never learned that I was that selfish if I wouldn't have had a wife and a child. So I'm telling you, it's very possible for a young man or a young woman to look godly, single, and not be. Okay? Man, if you're not married, you need to be looked for, you need to look for a woman who's willing to follow godly authority. Don't assume because a woman is 18 and attends church that she's ready for marriage. Just because she's grown don't mean she's ready to be married. Where are y'all getting this from? Where did y'all get this from? So listen, one marker to look for in a future wife is to look for someone who models to desire godly authority. Men, if you meet a young lady and you say, ooh, I want to date you, I want to court you, whatever, and she goes to her father and he says no, and she says, I don't care what my daddy says, get on the first thing smoking. I know it sounds romantic. Ooh, she loved me so much, she went in a, um, what's that stupid song that was out a couple years ago? I don't care what my daddy say, I'm going to date you anyway. Get on the first thing smoking. That's going to be a problem. Because all you have, men, is the power of persuasion. You have nothing else. That's it. And if she, she has to listen to her father, it's clear Bible verses. Honor your mother and your father and submit to them. She has to do that, and she's saying, no, what's she going to do to you? You're getting ready to be miserable. Miserable. And guess what you get to do? You get to love her. You get to love her. And we get to pray for you. Does she willingly follow the elders in the church? You Listen, church membership, you voluntarily submitted to the elders in this church. Nobody forced you to do that. Nobody put a gun to your head and say, be at First Baptist. So the decisions that the pastors and the elders make, we make to the best of our ability, with a, according to the scriptures, and try to be as wise as possible. And you constantly, nope, 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 nope. If she's doing that when she's single, she don't have to be here. It's a church, it's a hundred churches in this valley that agrees with everything that she says. But I'm willing to submit the reason why she ain't going to those is because if you go to a place where everybody agrees with you, it's time to work now. Ain't no more fighting and arguing about doctrine and all this stuff. It's time to get your hands to the plow because we all on the same page and you just lazy. But that's, that last part was speculation. Men, you are in a, a position of unescapable leadership. You cannot successfully refuse to lead. You cannot successfully refuse to lead. You may lead poorly, but you're going to be leading. That's why it's called a shape of marriage. This is how marriage is going to shape up inevitably, no matter how hard you fight against it. This is how marriage functions. This is the way God designed it. So husbands, you're ultimately responsible for all the problems, whether through good leadership, tyranny, or abdication. You understand that? Do you all understand that, men? And men, because we're sinners, we're going to express this in two opposite extremes. Okay, we're going to war against this. We're going to fight and buck up against this in two opposite extremes. One is going to be tyranny on one side, and the other side is just going to be complete abdication. Just going to completely reject your role, and it's going to be shades of it in between. You understand what I'm saying? So when I say tyranny, I don't, he don't have to be beating on his wife. He could just be unlovingly trying to demand his wife to follow him. And on the other end, it don't have to be him just abandoning the family. He could just run you this stupid line about, ooh, girl, I don't believe that men should be a leadership position. And make it look noble. It's because you're lazy. You're a ch- you know what you get when you get a man like this? You're going to have a child. Ladies, if that man is not willing to step up and lead biblically, you're going to have a child. That's going to be another one of your children, and you're going to hate it because you're going to be looking for support and and help and and love and encouragement, and you know what you're going to get? What you want to do, baby. I'm following you. And then when it falls apart, you know what what you're going to say? Well, we did whatever you wanted to do. It's your fault. Should have picked something better. That's a sucker. And you need to stay away from that dude. So it's tyranny, abdication, and shades of it in between. So men, we're responsible for what happened inside of our homes. 
And that doesn't mean it's all your fault, but you're responsible. Amen? Love your wife well. Lead her well. For the glory of God. For her good. And for the glory of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, you give us hard things, God. You give us hard things, O oh Lord, so that to call us back to yourself so that we wouldn't wander and stray away from you. So help us in our unbelief, Lord, to do all that your word says by the aid of your spirit. It's in Christ's name. Amen.